Welcome to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons, a podcast which examines tenets of the Christian faith in a systematic way. Dr. Ammons serves as a local church pastor and professor of theology in the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels, bringing years of experience into the theological arena. Now, here's Dr. Ammons. Is the Bible true? All of it? Every single part and every single word? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101. We are now into the 600 series looking at, at Scripture itself and the Bible. In episode one, we talked about the authority of Scripture. And today in episode two, we're going to talk about the truthfulness of Scripture. Now, whenever you ask someone the question, is the Bible true, most people are going to say, yes, that the Bible's true. But then when you begin to press them a little bit and say, is every single part of the Bible true, every word of it, all of it, then some may say, well, most of it is. I'm not certain every single part of it is because, well, things change, culture changes, and new discoveries are made, and so people would probably say, yes, the Bible in general is true, but I don't think people would always say every single part of it is true. However, I believe that it is, and I believe that you can make a case from Scripture itself that every single word, every single portion is God speaking to us through the Bible. Can the Bible be relied upon? All parts of it, I say yes. So in this episode, I want us to look at the truthfulness of Scripture and why we can know for certain that every part of the Bible today, in this day and age, is totally and accurately true. Let's look at several aspects. First of all, number one, concerning the truthfulness of Scripture, first of all, God cannot lie. God cannot speak falsely. I believe that's the first fact we need to recognize in looking at the truthfulness of Scripture. The essence of the authority of the Bible is its ability to compel us to believe and to obey it and to make such belief and obedience equivalent to believing and obeying God Himself. Now because of this, it's necessary, I think, to consider the truthfulness of Scripture since to believe all the words of the Bible implies confidence in the complete truthfulness of the Scripture that we believe. Now, the biblical writers repeatedly affirm that the words of the Bible, though they're human words, they're actually God's words. And it's appropriate to look at the texts that talk about the character of God's words and to apply these to the character of the words of Scripture. There are a number of passages. For example, Titus 1-2 says, God who, who never lies or cannot lie. Because God is a God who cannot lie, His words can always be trusted. Since all of Scripture is spoken by God, then all of Scripture must be unlying or just as truthful as God is truthful. Hebrews chapter 6-18 mentions two unchangeable things about God. God's oath and God's promise, whenever it says, quote, in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
That's what Hebrews 6.18 says. So in, in this passage, the author says, not merely that God does not lie, but that it's not even possible for God to lie. And although the immediate reference is only to oaths and promises, if it's impossible for God to lie in these utterances, then certainly it's impossible for God ever to lie. In fact, Jesus harshly rebuked those who tell the truth only under an oath, Matthew 5, 33-37. David says to God, You are God and your words are true, 2 Samuel 7, 28. So we see from several passages, first of all, talking about the truthfulness of Scripture, that God cannot lie or speak falsely. Not just that He doesn't lie, but He cannot lie and be true to His nature. Here's the second thought. Secondly, therefore, if God can't lie, all words in Scripture are completely true and without error in any part. Now, since the words of the Bible are God's words, and since God can't lie or speak falsely, I believe it is correct to conclude that there is no untruthfulness or error in any part of the words of Scripture. And we find this affirmed in, in several places in the Bible. For example, Psalm 12, 6 says, quote, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, end quote. Here the psalmist uses vivid imagery to, to speak of the undiluted purity of God's Word, like silver that's been through a fiery purifying process seven times. And yes, seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. Therefore, there is no imperfection in the words of God. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, quote, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Quote. So it's not just some of the words of Scripture are true. Every word of God, according to Psalm 30, verse 5, every word of God is true. In fact, God's Word is fixed in heaven for all eternity. Listen to Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So, folks, culture will not change it. Current beliefs of culture will not change it. Nothing will change it. God's Word is firmly fixed in the heavens, according to Psalm 119, verse 89. Jesus talked about the eternal nature of God's words in Matthew 24, 35, whenever He said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. So God's speech is placed in marked contrast to all human speech. Numbers 23, 19 says, quote, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind, end quote. So you look at all these verses, and they affirm explicitly what was implicit in the requirement that we believe all the words of Scripture. Namely, there is no untruthfulness or falsehood affirmed in any statements of the Bible. Let's look at a third aspect of the truthfulness of Scripture. Number one, God cannot lie or speak falsely. Number two, all the words of Scripture are completely true and without error in any part. And number three, God's words are the ultimate standard of truth. God's words are the ultimate standard 
of truth. Now listen to John 17, very interesting. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father. Now listen to what he says. Chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays to the Father and says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, talking about us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, this verse is interesting because Jesus does not use the adjectives true, alethanos and alethites. Both are adjectives that mean true. So we, we would have expected Jesus to say, Father, your word is true. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't use the adjective. He uses the noun, aletheia, in Greek, which is the word for truth. So rather than the adjectives true, Jesus says, your word is truth, noun, to say that God's word is not simply true, but truth itself. Very interesting that Jesus uses the noun rather than the adjective in John 17, 17. So that means God's words are the ultimate standard of truth. Now this difference between the noun and the adjective is significant for the statement encourages us to think of the Bible not simply as being true in the sense that it conforms to some higher standard of truth, but rather to think of the Bible as being itself the standard of truth. So the Bible is God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate definition of what is true and what is not true. So God's Word is itself the high standard of truth. So we're to think of the Bible as that ultimate standard of truth and the reference point by which every other claim to truthfulness is to be measured. The assertions that conform that with Scripture are true, while those that do not conform with Scripture are not true. What then is truth? Truth is what God says, and we have it exhaustively in the Bible. So those are three statements on the, uh, the truthfulness of Scripture. But let me uh, now address a couple of, of issues concerning the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, first of all, might some new fact ever contradict the Bible? Is it possible for, for something to be discovered one day and we realize, uh-oh, the Bible was actually wrong there? Is that ever possible? In fact, I've been asked that as pastor. I've been asked that question several times before. Pastor, what if we ever find something or something is ever discovered that, that might contradict the Bible? So, I believe that we can say with confidence that will never happen. It is, in fact, impossible to happen. Let's think through this. If any supposed fact is ever discovered that is said to contradict the Bible, then we've understood Scripture rightly, that fact must be false. Why? Because God's the author of Scripture. God knows all true facts, past, present, future, and no fact will ever turn up God did not know. In fact, that God didn't know ages ago and, and take into account when He caused Scripture to be written. Every true fact is something God has already known from all eternity and is something that therefore cannot contradict God's speech in the Bible because the Bible is God's Word speaking to us and God does not and cannot lie. 
Now, nevertheless, having said all this, it must be remembered that scientific or historical study or other kinds of study about creation can cause us to re-examine Scripture to see if it really teaches what we thought it taught. There's a big difference there. For example, the Bible does not teach us that the earth was created in the year 4004 B.C. Now, uh, that's kind of been taken the, as the Oh, as the definitive year in which the Bible was, was written by a lot of scholars. But the Bible doesn't say that. It never says, now in the year 4004 B.C., God created the heavens and the earth. It just says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there are genealogical lists, but then there's some gaps in those lists. So we don't know for certain if it was 4004. Most people think, well, it could have been around there. But that's something that we believe, not that Scripture actually tells us. So that belief is in part maybe historical or archaeological, or maybe a belief is astronomical or geological, or maybe it's a study that causes us to maybe re-examine Scripture to see if it really teaches what we thought it taught. So careful analysis of the biblical text shows us it might teach that. It might not teach that. So do not take the Scripture as saying what we think it teaches about. Similarly, the Bible does not teach us that the sun goes around the earth, for it only uses descriptions of phenomena as we see them from our vantage point. It does not purport to be describing the workings of the universe from some arbitrary or fixed point somewhere out there in space. Yet until the study of astronomy advanced enough to demonstrate the rotation of the earth on its axis, people assume that the Bible taught the sun goes around the earth. The Bible never says that. The study of scientific data prompted a re-examination of those biblical texts. Thus, whenever confronted with some, quote, fact that is said to contradict Scripture, we must not only examine the data to demonstrate the, the fact of the question, we must also examine the appropriate biblical text to see, did the Bible really teach that? We may think that it taught it. Maybe it really didn't. We should never fear, but always welcome, I think, any new facts that may be discovered in any legitimate area of human research or study. Let me, let me give you an example. Discoveries by archaeologists working in, in Syria have brought to light what's known as the Ebla tablets, E-B-L-A. These are extensive written records from the period around 2000 B.C. Uh, they have significant potential to increase our understanding of the world of the patriarchs back in, in Genesis and, and really and beyond, and the events that are connected with the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So, should Christians entertain any lingering apprehension that this data will prove some fact in Genesis to be incorrect? Absolutely not. Certainly not. We should eagerly, I think, anticipate all such data and, and with confidence and say, hey, let's examine Scripture and see what it teaches us about that. It's not going to contradict Scripture ever. No true fact will ever contradict the words of God who knows all facts and who never lies. So, so remember that. A lot of people say, well, we shouldn't be 
looking into data and archaeology and all of that because it could, it could make us doubt Scripture. No, it doesn't. It can look, allow us to re-examine some text that never makes us doubt Scripture because no true fact will ever contradict the words of God who knows all facts and who never lies. Now, here's another point I think it's important to, to mention and to talk about in, in the truthfulness of Scripture. And that is this. Our final authority is written Scripture, not academic speculations about background topics. Now, I think that's important to realize that the final form in which Scripture remains authoritative is its written form. In fact, it was the words of God written on the tablets of stone that Moses deposited in the Ark of the Covenant. Later, God commanded Moses and other prophets to write their words in a book. And so it was written scripture, the word graphe in Greek, G-R-A-P-H-E, that Paul said was breathed out by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. Similarly, it is Paul's writings that are the, quote, command of the Lord, end quote, in 1 Corinthians 14.37. And that it can be classified with the other scriptures, 2 Peter 3.16. So, the Bible tells us that the Word of God, the final authority, is the written Word of God. Now, I believe that's important because people sometimes, either maybe intentionally or unintentionally, they attempt to substitute some other standard than the written words of God. For example, sometimes people refer to, quote, what Jesus really said was this, and then they claim that when we translate the Greek words of the Gospels back into the Aramaic language that Jesus spoke, that we gain a better understanding of his words that was given by the writers of the Gospels. In fact, it Sometimes that this work is reconstructing Jesus' words in Aramaic, that, that leads to erroneous and inaccurate translations. Uh, in other cases, people have claimed to know well, what Paul really thought, even when there is a difference from the meaning of the words which he wrote. Or a lot of times people will say, well, Paul should have said this if he had been consistent with the rest of his theology, end quote. Sometimes they say that, but... Similarly, others have spoken of the church situation to which Matthew was writing or something like that, attempted to give some normative force either to that situation or to the solution they think Matthew was attempting to bring about in that situation. No, what we have in the written form is exactly God's words, not what Matthew should have said or Paul thought he was saying or Jesus reinterpreted into Aramaic. No, no. The written word that we have currently in our form is the final authority of God. Now, another mistaken view of the authority of Scripture is seen when critics of the Bible will bring up wrong ideas that people in the ancient world believed and then criticize those ideas rather than criticizing what the Bible actually says. Let me give you an example. Peter ends um, in a book entitled Inspiration and Incarnation, Evangelicals on the Problem of the, of the Old Testament. He claims that a common worldview in the ancient Near East held that the world was a flat disk with a solid dome above it that held back huge amounts of water. 
and that the author of Genesis shared that worldview. He says, quote, Genesis, as other stories of the ancient world, portrays the world as a flat disk with a dome above it, end quote. But this argument by ends directly undermines people's belief in the authority of Scripture because obviously today we do not believe the world is a flat disk with a solid dome above it that holds back water. My response to such a claim that we're required, and a lot of other scholars as well, would be, be that no, it's not some speculation about ideas that Moses or other biblical authors might have had at the time. No passage of Scripture actually teaches that the earth is a flat disk or that the sky is a solid dome holding back water. The Bible doesn't say that. People like Peter Enns assume the biblical writers believed that because others believed in that time period. But that's not what Scripture actually says. So it really doesn't matter whether Moses believed the earth was flat or round or something else. What matters is what he wrote in Scripture. That's what matters. So the authority of the Bible requires us to believe what the text actually affirms, not what we think Moses believed. We're not to required to believe someone's speculation about what Moses or any other biblical writer thought. Just go by what they wrote. So in all these instances, we, we have to admit that asking about the words or situations behind the text of Scripture may be helpful at times in understanding what the text means. But our speculations about the original Aramaic words, the thoughts in Paul's minds, what the writer of Genesis thought, all of those simply speculation. We have to go by the written words of God, the very words of God, not try to improve them in some way, for they cannot be improved. Rather, just seek to understand them, seek to trust them, seek to obey them with our whole heart. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed our, our episode on the truthfulness of Scripture and maybe some things to think about through here in, in talking about how we know and why we know the Bible in all of its form is totally accurate and true. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about how do we get our Bible and looking at the canon of Scripture and how we got the 66 books that we have now. Thank you for joining us. Join us next time for Truth 101. God bless you. You have been listening to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons. We hope you have enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on recent sermons by Dr. Ammons, go to www.fbcgarland.org and join us next time for Truth 101.